Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we're going to sit down and talk with Andy Zaliskans about his work with the special operators in the United States Marine Corps. We're going to talk about Andy's path to working with the special forces, and then he's going to touch upon some similarities and differences in dealing with the special forces to his time in college athletics. And then we're going to get into the process he went through to build the program uh, and the relationships within the troops that he works with. He's going to start talking about the reasons why strength and conditioning is becoming more prevalent in the United States military and how you incorporate the program without intruding into the, you know, the traditional military PT environment. And then we're going to finish off talking about programming and how he's come up with it and what he's doing and how they've built the program that he's using with the special operators down there. It's really some awesome stuff, guys. Andy is extremely candid and open in his sharing. I can't thank him enough for that. I hope you guys enjoy the talk as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Andy, thanks for being on with us today, brother. Jerry, thanks for having me, man. Good seeing you again. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, it's been a while. So listen, let's get everybody caught up and, and let's tell everybody where you are, where you've been, and, and what got you down there in North Carolina. Sure, sure. Uh, so I've been in the position I'm in right now for about five years uh, before that. I was working with Cal Dietz at the University of Minnesota. I know if people are following your podcast, if they've been out to CVS, PS, and, and the symposium, you know, they, they understand, they got a, an understanding of Cal, and that's kind of how I got my start. I uh, did an internship with him, um, coached at the University of Northern Colorado a little bit, came back to work with Cal as an assistant, uh, and I was uh, I was actually filling in for a guy named Tommy Miller, who's, who's maybe got some press out there, and people in that circle kind of know who Tommy is. Uh, and that's also kind of when I got introduced to you, Jay, and, and, you know, we've been in contact ever since then. And I was filling in for Tommy for, uh, you know, he was on, he's a National Guard member, so he's a soldier. He got called up for a tour of duty, uh, 13 months, so Cal gave me the job and kind of said, hey, just so you know, we got to find you another job sometime soon. And kind of looking for jobs about seven months into that, uh, in that position with Cal and, you know, just saw out of chance, uh, an opportunity with special operations and the United States Marine Corps Special Operations Forces. Uh, so just kind of a shot in the dark. You know, I have zero military experience, um, a very limited experience with anybody in the military, period. Uh, but I applied for the job. I got it. I've, I've been out here for a little while now. I love it. Uh, and uh, that kind of brings us to, to what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, man. And it, it has been an interesting ride for you. So I think that what we should start out with are what are the similarities? So, you know, I mean, obviously dealing with the 
you know, the special forces, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little different than dealing with a wrestling team or a hockey team. So let, let's start out there and, and talk about what things, when you guys are working with these men and women, would you say are, are on par with what we would see in the private sector in college athletics? Sure. Yeah, and that, that's a great point because I think this job field is going to expand. I think the military is this giant untapped uh, population that more than anybody needs proper training and proper preparation. And those models that, that the military at large kind of uses really haven't changed since World War II. And so if people are interested or, or kind of hearing about these jobs that are popping up and, and this field that's starting to emerge, and I know they probably have some of the same questions I did, which is what in God's name am I going to be doing if I go work with the military population? This means I'm going to be looking at 100 guys standing in formation and we're going to sound off and just do a bunch of push-ups together. You know, what, what does this deal look like? Um, so for, for the strength coaches out there that, that don't have too much insight into it um, or, or anybody looking to maybe make that transition into the tactical uh, arena someday, the actual work application looks very, very similar to what you'd be doing with collegiate athletics, what you'd be doing with professional athletics. We got guys squatting, we got guys pressing, we got guys going through agility drills, we're conditioning guys. So all the same types of things uh, that, that a strength coach would used to be doing uh, in those more kind of traditional uh, athletic venues, that's what, what tactical strength and conditioning coaches do. Um, but maybe where where uh, the similarities stop is kind of how that day-to-day operations look. So, you know, coming from the collegiate setting, you're used to, hey, these are your teams, these are your athletes. The volleyball team's going to train at 6 a.m. They're off-season. They're going to be in four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, whatever it is. And then you're going to have the baseball team. Uh, you know, everybody's going to team up for football team if, if you're on kind of one of those smaller universities, you know, where, where I started out at. And, and the military complex doesn't look anything like that. Uh, so we, uh, we don't necessarily know exactly who's going to come in, how often they're going to come in. Uh, we don't always know what their, their daily work schedules are going to look like. Uh, sometimes guys get called up for deployment, and, and all of a sudden you were thinking this thing that was going to happen you know, six months out is now going to happen in two weeks. Uh, so there's a lot of unknowns. And I think part of that is just because the field is so new, you know, so the military has been used to preparing uh, in a certain way. Now we've got strength and conditioning coaches kind of coming online. And so where we are embedded into the units, uh, just like strength coaches are embedded into athletic universities and, and into or into, you know, the athletic departments at universities. Um, I don't know if, if necessarily command structure quite understands how to accomplish those things yet. And that's where I, I kind of feel like it's all of our jobs uh, for the guys, the coaches that are in there right now to do a really damn good job uh, and to kind of show those those necessary command leadership positions, what this could look like if they can kind of develop that structure and, and truly embed and integrate us uh, into kind of the daily functions of work life. Uh, so that's, that's just a little bit on, on day-to-day operations. Um, I think kind of what, what we want to talk about a little bit is uh, the difference in, in kind of programming, what we're trying to accomplish. I, I guess so before uh, before I go on and, and just kind of go on a rant like I tend to do from time to time, uh, Jay, you're out there, you're a coach, you know, we've been talking for a while. What would your questions be if you were to, to kind of make one of these transitions or, or get called up by a military unit? Well, I mean, I think the first and foremost would be 
what would my primary responsibility be to the unit? As in, like, what are we actually attempting to accomplish with training? Because it's not like we're working together to win an Atlantic 10 championship. We're working together to win a war, which is a little (laughs) bit different. Um, And then I think the other thing would be how involved do you expect me and my staff to be in the daily lives of these soldiers and how involved are we going to be in the entire PT process because they do so much mm-hmm. rucking and running and yeah. shooting and everything else. That's what they do. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> sure. so I think that those sure. would probably be the first two. And mm-hmm. then I'm sure that there'll be more that, you know, pop their head up because of those answers. Sorry, drink some water. I got to water down the coffee a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jay, you, you, those are some awesome questions. Uh, so I'll, I'll start big picture and kind of work smaller, uh, trying to figure out, you know, why, uh, with, with the U S military being what it is with U S special operations being what it is, um, why you would, you'd go out and hire a bunch of strength coaches to begin with. And I actually think strength coaches are, are maybe an ancillary function to some of the overall systemic issues that the military faces. And, I, and so I'll start with a couple numbers. Um, the government, uh, to include the military, you know, the DOD, to include the VA, spends $3.8 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars a year on musculoskeletal injuries. All right, and that's kind of an all-encompassing cost. You know, there are, each unit is allotted so many members. You know, the taxpayer dollars uh, are going to rate, you know, 100 guys for this company. Well, if a guy goes down with a hamstring tear, it's not like they've got a replacement to put in, in place. You know, they, he either needs to get well uh, or, you know, he becomes medically retired. Uh, so there's, it's not like you can just bring somebody off of the injured reserve and plug them right in that spot. So you're looking at, at lost, um, uh, basically work efficiency from, from having guys down. Um, you're looking at, at the high cost of, uh, a large part preventable, uh, training injuries, you know, bad training plans, bad training practices that, that are causing these huge amounts of, of injuries across the board at, to the tune of $3.8 billion a year. Uh, so especially when we start to look at, at, at a slightly smaller picture, a much smaller picture, in fact, you know, when you talk about special operations, you're talking about maybe 1%, probably less than 1% of the, the entire military, but they are highly specialized and very highly trained. So it takes a lot of money, it takes a lot of time and resources uh, to develop the tactical skills, you know, to, to plug somebody into that mission set. So when those guys start to go down, uh, you know, Shoulder uh, repair, you know, labral repairs are a huge one. Rotator cuff injuries, uh, lower back pain is an epidemic. Um, when guys start to go down on that level, and you, you can kind of factor in the cost of, okay, if I can hire a strength and conditioning coach to put together better PT plans to provide better training at the tune of however much it costs that coach, and he can prevent so many injuries, well, that becomes a very cost-effective uh, measure, you know. 
uh, much more cost effective. I think maybe where we struggle, uh, and, and this might just be from pulling a bunch of guys from from the collegiate setting who are used to, you know, getting a guy ready for a combine, improving his 40 time X, Y, and Z, is, is we as coaches need to understand that our primary function then to the unit is to be a resource for medical readiness. It's to fulfill the commander's obligation, you know, to uh, to the Secretary of Defense, to the U.S. government, to the nation, of providing these troops that are fit and capable of completing the mission set. I don't think at any point in time, you know, somebody looked at at special operations and said, "Yeah, those guys don't bench enough, so we need strength and conditioning coaches." Somebody looked at it and said, "We've got a lot of guys that are getting screwed up, and we could probably prevent some of these uh, just from better practices." So that's probably what I feel like is our obligation to the unit. Provide me a fit and capable force that can go complete these uh, these tasks, you know, these mission sets that we've obligated ourselves for. Interesting. So then how does that, because again, it's like you're almost intruding in yeah. a way, because you're, 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 and I don't, that kind of probably sounds worse than it's supposed to, but like, because that's, this is how we've always done it, and this is what we do. So now, how do you bring in a plan that is very different um, and implement that into such a structured and rigid environment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can't speak for, you know, the, the kind of conventional forces and the military at large. You know, I, I do have experience working with, with troops uh, that come from those backgrounds, but most of my time is spent within the special operations sector. And, and so in there, you know, I remember driving out to North Carolina from Minnesota and, you know, it was the first snowstorm of the year up north. It was negative 17 as I'm packing up the car and just trying, <laughs> just trying to get to the east side of Chicago without killing myself. Uh, kind of thinking, you know, what is this job going to look like? And one of the first conversations I had with uh, a guy who's, you know, a tried and true American hero, he looked at me in the eye when I kind of laid out my plan for for him and his unit, and he said, how are you going to help me kill the enemy? Straight up. And he said, well, I, I don't know if triphasic quite fits the description of <laughs> what he was looking for. By the way, we did do triphasic. <laughs> And I think he liked it. <laughs> well, you're still talking to me, so he didn't not like it. Or maybe I'm not the enemy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So how how do you how do you integrate yourself and and how do you, you intruding is is really and yet I mean maybe a strong word, but that's a perfect word because I had no idea, you know, especially with zero military background. You know, what can I offer these guys? I, I've worked with some some great coaches before. I've been very fortunate to learn from some of the best in the business. You know, but what, what do I know about that? You know, and it, it, it kind of took me a year to realize that I actually had no clue whatsoever. Uh, but being in that small, tight-knit community, um, you know, guys at times ask kind of, you know, what do you think the key to success is? And I think it's the relationships. It's relationships you build every single day with the guys you're working with, with the guys you're training. It's earning their trust. It's bending over backwards for them because ultimately what, what that guy is saying when he, when he trusts you with his physical preparation is he's saying you are going to – I'm putting my life in your hands in a way. The things that you are going to provide me with, this training plan that, that I'm trusting you to provide me with needs to carry me through the field of battle. 
and to do all these things. So it takes a lot of trust. Now, in a small, tight-knit community, once you earn that trust, it, it, you're in. I mean, you are in. Those guys will open up to you and tell you things that you could never imagine. And just as long as you keep doing right by those guys, you know, I think the buy-in comes. And it takes time, and it's a constant work in progress. It's hitting the you know, hitting the, the gym floor every single day and trying to earn that trust, do the, the right things by the guys uh, so that they keep coming back in. Um, and, and to kind of some of the bigger questions you asked, the, I think the more we've built those relationships, uh, the more we've gotten guys to buy in, the more we've been trusted with integrating with the overall uh, plan. So there are sessions that the coaches handle, I, you know, weight room sessions. We're going to do a strength day, okay? So we're, we're going to work with the strength and conditioning coaches. But on Friday, we're going out for a ruck. So you kind of become as, uh, you know, I'm going to steal a term from James Smith, uh, that, that global load manager. You're looking at that overall stress application, looking at what tissue is being stressed, how much time does it need to recover, uh, and how can we kind of bounce back and forth between these different types of sessions and add in some, some you know, kind of different aspects that the guys aren't used to getting. Um, so I, I guess I'll follow on with one more point uh, before we kind of get into this. While I have all the respect in the world for the guys I work with, you know, they, they signed a a check up to and including life that I've never signed. Uh, they all have an, an incredible work ethic uh, that rivals the best athletes I've ever worked with uh, and had the chance to train. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are good athletes. You know, they have motors that are out of this world. And if you ask them to run through a brick wall, they're going to try at least twice if they trust you. But doesn't necessarily mean they can walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. So. With that, I think, you know, the actual application of, of what we do a lot of the times is just getting the fundamentals right, teaching guys how to move better because they can move all day. Um, but as you know, improper movement, bad motor pattern programming done repetition after repetition. And these guys are probably at the extreme ends of repetitions done over and over again. It, it leads to dysfunction. It leads to guys breaking down. And now that's a guy who can't be in the fight. That's an asset lost, you know, for the next battle, for the next mission set. And that's damaging probably more so to that individual's psychology because of how close those units are, um, maybe more so than it is, you know, a lost asset on paper. That's all interesting. I couldn't imagine walking in on the first day at work having someone say that to me. But it's... Um, <laughs> I'm actually extremely taken aback by that, and I'm not taken aback by things very often. Um, so I guess then the next thing is you've got a very interesting staff, and you guys have very different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So maybe we, we finish out here talking a bit about how you've built this staff, how the, all of you with these different backgrounds come together and design these programs and what you guys, how you set it up for the, the special ops guys that you're working with. Because Drew and I have talked about that, and that's pretty interesting. Okay. Okay. Good. I'll let you tear me up on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll go back to, to one of the things I said earlier. I said it took me about a year uh, to realize I didn't know what I was doing. And that was still thinking in that very um, – 
collegiate annual plan type of thinking. Hey, we've got an off season, we've got a preseason, we've got an you know X, Y, and Z, and we're going to move from this phase to this phase to this phase. Uh, and that's just not the way our day-to-day -day operation works. It's there sometimes for certain groups, um, but more often than not, day-to-day, -day, uh, we're, we're just trying to take advantage of what we have that day. So we're looking at much smaller units of time. And so after that year, and I kind of said, man, I got to take all this down off the wall. I don't know what's going on. I need to rethink the process a little bit. You know, I remember reading through block periodization as I was trying to learn from Cal, and I just remember that that table of training residuals. You know, aerobic endurance, 30 plus or minus five days. Uh, what is it? You know, a lactic speed development, five plus or minus three days. And I started to lay that out on kind of what a month would look like. Uh, and then tried to fit that into a government week because that's, you know, it's the government. We work Monday through Friday um, and tried to say at a minimum with these these mixed athletes and all of these qualities are desirable. We don't necessarily want the strongest guy. We don't want the most in shape guy. But at some point in time, any one of those qualities could become dramatically and potentially life saving importance uh, of, of that importance. And so what we kind of found was that if we accomplish a. Maximal strength session um, once every other week. If we accomplish a strength endurance session uh, once a week, if we accomplish uh, some type of conditioning specific session once a week and, and rotate between anaerobic and aerobic endurance on three days a week, we can add a, a minimum theoretically maintain all those qualities given the training residuals. So I, I put it into play and said, you know, we'll see if this thing rides. Um, and I guess I, I should specify a little bit more, uh, we typically use upper and lower splits just because it makes it very easy to switch out training days without affecting the same tissue over and over again. So if, if, if gunnery sergeant so-and-so says, guess what, we weren't planning on it, but we're going to do a 10-mile ruck tomorrow through some rough terrain, it becomes very easy to switch those sessions out as necessary. You've got a lot of adaptability. So, you know, if, if it's week one and we're doing max strength upper body, then week two is going to be max strength lower body. And then throughout a four-week cycle that, or four-week training block, that kind of puts us right in line with the training residuals and put it into play and it worked and it's been progressing ever since then. Um, one of the, the things we've gravitated to though is you know, maximal strength is not the same for your 18-year-old your freshman who's walking into the weight room for the first time compared to a guy who's been uh, a well first background in strength training for 10 years. They're totally uh, different types of stress and how much they can apply. So it's kind of finding that scale of how to apply that session for this guy, for that guy. Uh, and, and we just use really basic color-coded schemes. You know, we put all these sessions on, on workout cards and we have the way we apply those different stressors uh, broken down into different colors. So that way, if we kind of identify that you are this color, you're pulling those sessions from that type of color. It's really simple. The simple answer seems to work really well. Uh, so then with one of the things we did just a couple months ago was with all these coaches, with all these different backgrounds, having those generalized training goals throughout a week is to say, okay, what does that mean for a guy um, who's, who's coming from Jada Mayo at the University of Richmond? What skill set can he add to that? Can he take that programming and match it, make these general stress principles? And I think it's it's so general that you can take any kind of programming setup and make it fit that. The only thing we want to do is, is make sure that 
in terms of, of injury prevention, in terms of uh, a movement-based application, is that throughout a week we've accomplished, you know, move, you know, single leg lateral movements, single leg linear movements, X, Y, and Z. And so I think you can take those principles and really apply it to any type of programming setup uh, that you have. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. It seems to work for us more often than not. No, I think that's fantastic, and I think that. Uh, another thing that we could get into that would be really awesome is how you designate and break down those different groupings or the, you referred to them as the, uh, the colors or the levels for these guys. Mm-hmm. So I, I won't give away all the trade secrets cause I don't know what, <laughs> what I'm able to disclose and not, but, uh, part of it lies in, in Zasorski's, um, um, uh, geez, uh, speed deficit principle, strength deficit, you know, where, where, uh, at a certain point, uh, given your, um, specific movements to the sporting activity increases in, in maximal strength are going to be less and less prevalent, um, and, and less applicable and less transferable to the sporting activity. It kind of throws a monkey wrench in things. Cause you say, well, what's the sporting activity for a special operator? You know, it, it could be climbing a wall. It could be jumping out of an airplane. You know, it could be a, a close quarters combat type environment. So I, I don't know if we're even really ready to venture down the road to sport specificity, but from a generalized level, uh, to say that if guys, um, are not at the level of, of kind of strength to body weight ratio we feel like they should be, then they need to work generally on just basic force uh, development, you know, increasing strength at a very basic level. If they get up to that level, now we can start to say, you know, so that would be one color of cards and how we apply those stressors. If they're above that level, now we start to say, how do we take that, that basic foundational level of strength and start to transfer it into probably some more applicable uh, strength-based qualities, speed, strength, power, things of that nature. And now if guys kind of achieve that level, uh, now we start to get into some of the, the auto-regulatory methods and just trying to take advantage of, of daily readiness. Uh, you know, we'll bust out the toys, the Tendo units, um, you know, try to do a mega wave with certain guys here and there. Uh, so we've got the access to all these really cool kind of high-end gadgets and, and some training philosophy mixed in there. We also don't necessarily have a broad-scale understanding of, of sound training principles with our population to be able to apply those kinds of things, you know, especially guys coming from, from that background that they're just going to break themselves off every single day. Uh, and you're looking at an omega wave read and you're like, yeah, man, you kind of need to, to get some recovery. Once again, we go back to the guy who says, how are you going to help me kill the enemy? You know, can we can we get that thought process across? So the individual answer seems to be just that individualized. And how do we win each and every individual over? No, that's awesome, man. And looking at it as benchmarks and progressions and moving forward and, and building the relationships with these guys and, and gals that are really, I, like you said, I think that was a, a, a really just like a jaw-dropping line. So they, they signed a check you know, that, that includes their life, you know, that, that we've never signed is, is absolutely fascinating. And it's uh, a view into what these people are doing and how you guys are getting them ready is, is greatly appreciated, Andy. And this is awesome, man. There's, there's a lot of really great stuff in here, and people are going to love it. I, I thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today, bro. 
Absolutely. Jay, thanks so much for having me. Good yeah, seeing you again, brother. You, you too, bro. We'll be in touch real soon, man. <laughs> we Appreciate you. We will. All right, man. All right, Take man. care. Yeah, man. Later. Later. And again, a huge thanks for Andy to spending the time with us today to talk about what he's doing, the program he's built, his journey to get there and all those things. But again, I think it's just, you know, the common theme of building relationships. And that's what drives all of it. Even in this situation, you know, where literally these people are, are, are willing to put their lives on the line at the end of the day. And it's absolutely fascinating stuff. I, I can't thank Andy enough for being so open and honest and candid with his sharing. And guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media out of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. If you haven't, please subscribe. iTunes, Podomatic, or YouTube. Make sure you stay up to date with everything that we have going on here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. I hope you guys enjoyed the talk. We appreciate everything you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. And we will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.